You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. Welcome to episode 136 of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. On this episode, we sat down with Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner of themoneyadvantage.com. The Money Advantage is a team of financial architects for wealth creators. They use a three-step roadmap to help you maximize your money. The strategy that they used is called infinite banking, which is what we'll be discussing on this episode. Rachel and Bruce are going to be sharing the three secrets to infinite banking, how infinite banking can help you to maximize the value of your cash flow. We'll also be talking about how you can earn from the same money in two different ways and how infinite banking can help you to both prepare from an estate planning perspective and to have cash flow to borrow against for investments. Rachel Marshall's the co-founder, chief financial educator, and content strategist for The Money Advantage. She's known for making money simple, fun, and doable. She's currently writing a book about her near-death experience, which you'll also hear about on this episode. That same near-death experience is what springboarded her into becoming a co-founder of The Money Advantage. Bruce Wainer is the lead advisor for The Money Advantage, and he helps individuals to strategize how they can increase their cash flow and their financial control. Bruce has been using infinite banking since his parents started his first policy when he was a child. Bruce and Rachel are also the co-hosts of The Money Advantage podcast, which is available at themoneyadvantage.com. Here are the self-made strategies of Rachel Marshall and Bruce Wainer. Rachel, Bruce, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you on the show. Really appreciate you being here remotely, of course, both of you. And you both started themoneyadvantage.com to help individuals um, to, to, art, uh, to structure financial freedom for your clients, to help people to obtain financial freedom. You consider yourselves financial freedom architects. So tell us a little bit about how both of you came together to start that organization and that website. That's awesome. I think we both have two different sides of the story. And so we'll share both with you today. So um, we, I was in business with my husband. We were in the life insurance space, very super cool, you know, and we were in a position of saying, how do we really grow and how do we do more and provide more education, more knowledge, more substance to people who are already aware of this work and specifically in the whole life insurance space. And so we ended up meeting Bruce and his team in St. Louis and there was just really something unique and very exciting that was happening in terms of a collaboration. And so we said, how can we join forces in a way and how can we provide more knowledge information? I was doing a lot with videos on YouTube and just being able to educate people about infinite banking and using life insurance. And really that was even a step back. If I just say, my husband and I got into business, we said, how do we have access to capital when we need it. I mean, every entrepreneur is in a position where whatever you've done financially before you got into business, now all of a sudden you're realizing, I need cash. I need cash to pay for marketing or buy a product, depending on what kind of business you're in. If you're in a service-based business, you don't have product that you're purchasing, but you need access to capital. And we had not done that. So we had gold and silver and we had we were thinking of a long long-term store of capital which we did great with that but we didn't have the accessibility that we needed at the right time and so that really led us to pivot our personal financial life to say how do i not only grow my my money and build cash flowing assets and how do i become in a position that long term will have financial stability but how do i make sure that i have cash now to deploy where I need it in my business so that I can grow those endeavors. And so that's how we got into the life insurance space in the first place. And then that was a little bit of the connection with Bruce. But Bruce, I would love for you to share um, just briefly, because I think it's super interesting how you were doing infinite banking before you even knew it way back uh, when you were born. Yeah. So, um, so Tony, I was, <clears throat> I was born in 1963. I'm kind of that, I'm kind of that computer that has so much, junk in it now it's slow to start up and move so uh that's one of my curses i have so much 
stuff in my mind that sometimes I have to, you know, search for it, search for it to get it back up. And so um, my life started with uh, my parents actually taking a whole life uh, insurance contract on me, but I didn't know it until they handed it over to me after I was actually uh, married and, and said, here, this is our gift to you. And we actually borrowed against it to actually buy our first home. And uh, lo and behold, I, I had always tried to figure out how financial instruments worked because I grew up in an all German family and the, and the Germans don't really talk to um, their, their family members about money. And so I, as a young child, I can remember some entrepreneurial things because my dad was a, an entrepreneur, you know, trying to figure this out for myself. And so I fast forward then uh, in the late 80s, uh, when I was a teacher, somebody came to me and said, hey, would you like to show people how this uh, they could retire with uh, using whole life insurance as a tax free income? And I said, sure, I already have. I already have a policy. I think it's great. And so I did that and started my entrepreneurial career in that alongside of my education career. Eventually stopped that uh, at the wisdom of the, the recession in 2008. We met, when I say we, the teammates here in St. Louis, we said we want to do financial services different and we want to learn from the, from the recession. Who survived the best from the recession? Well, the people that survived the best were the people that had their capital in a safe place. And they also people that had their capital in alternative investments, not in the stock market. And it just so happened the major endowments, and you're on the East Coast, so two of them are Harvard and Yale mm -hmm. uh, and Stanford. They survived the best where everybody else was losing 40, 50, some cases, 60 percent of their portfolio. They were they were down like 10 percent. And our firm said, we've got to learn from this. And so we we took this uh, idea that we're going to build this family office model and share what the successful people do out there. Because, Tony, the biggest problem is when you say financial advisor to somebody, what do are, what are most people think? They think stocks, bonds, mutual funds. They of say, course, oh, right. this happens to me today. They say, hey, you got any good stock tips? And I'm like, uh, I don't pay attention to stocks. And they're just like taken back by that. And I said, well, what do you do? I said, I'm a cash flow strategist because everything in life is about cash flow. Everything. And so we try to figure out the best way to produce income, even while you're saving for retirement, if that's your goal. So we want to build by income, not build by appreciation, because you can tear down appreciation like that. Right. But income can always happen. Now, it's not guaranteed, but, you know, the real estate, I'm sure you have had real estate people on or you've talked to real estate people. They always talk about, hey, I don't care if my rental property goes down in value. I still have that that income coming in. I don't care if my business actually loses in appraised value, but I'm still getting income off of that. So that's what we're actually, uh, that's actually how we, we developed our firm and our ideas. Right. And that's actually a brilliant point because a lot of times recurring income, as you're referring to, you know, return income every single month, that steady income is the lifeline, not only of, of a business, but of a, a solid and financially stable life, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's your own uh, family's economy, your personal economy. And people don't realize that they have, we have the general economy that everybody lives within like a macro level. And then you have your personal economy and nobody ever talks about personal economy and nobody teaches it to anybody. And like I said, in my own family, and I don't think my family was that different than a normal family. They just, family members don't teach. Now, what's interesting, Tony, the, the Uber and ultra wealthy teach their children about money and how to not only prepare for downturns, how to store capital, how to, how to pass it on to the next generation efficiently and possible to sustain it. And that's how they build it. 
but people that don't talk about money have no idea how to do these things. And that's been Rachel and I's mission ever since we actually hosted an event in St. Louis to try to get the financial industry to be collaborative rather than competitive, because that's what happens all the time. Your stock, your stock broker says, oh, don't listen to your insurance guy. It's all about stocks. Your insurance guy says, don't listen to this to the stock guy, he's going to lose all your money. Put it over here in guarantees. Right. Your tax guy says, oh, defer taxes. And you say, but I got a really great opportunity. I wanted to pull some money out of my, my IRA and go do this opportunity. Oh, that's too risky. Don't do that. And then your business coach is telling you, hey, go for it. That's the best place to put your money into the business. And then your state attorney is saying, wait a minute, let's pull back a little bit. Let's worry <laughs> about this. Give me this money to protect you. Your PNC person is telling you, oh, you, you got to get a high de- or a low deductible, you know, so in case something happens, you don't have to pay a lot out of pocket, but we're going to raise your premiums for that. You know, it's all these kind of things that people are getting this hodgepodge of information and nobody's coordinated it. So what we try to do is a family office model so that we designed that we have all these resources available that are play nicely with each other and coordinate a person's complete financial life. I, I, uh, I was a teacher, so I always tell people, hey, think about this. Um, you've got a curriculum director in a, in a teacher, in a school district or in a school. Your English teacher can walk down the, the hallway and teach math because they've had math, but they're not, not, they're not the best person to do it. And your history teacher can walk down the hallway and, and teach you know, science because they've had it, but they're not the best people. But somebody has to coordinate all those really good resources to, to get an end product. And that's what we attempt to do at the Money Advantage. Sure. So you, you both talked a little bit about infinite banking. So for, for our listeners, for anyone who's listening to this, what is infinite banking? And I know that you frequently, both of you, talk about the three secrets of infinite banking that can help to sort of leverage these strategies. Could you touch on that a little bit, explain what infinite banking is and lead into what those three secrets might be? Yes. Well, what's really, really interesting is that Bruce alluded to and mentioned here a financial picture and, or he said personal economy, financial economy. And what happens is that when somebody looks at their entire financial life, there's cash flows in, there's cash flows out, then there's places that you have money sitting. And if you think about your financial picture or your personal economy that way, we can kind of think about there's money coming in, there's money going out, there's some that's being stored. Am I saving or investing that money? And what is the purpose of that money? So there's a lot of elements of this that are tied together. But infinite banking is one strategy that looks at the big picture and tries to optimize what somebody is doing with their place to store cash. So just say, for instance, we have money coming in, we have the expenses, we're paying loans and mortgage and all of the things that we have in our daily life, and we have something that's left over. We say, okay, well, let's go ahead. Most people will say, I want to invest that as quickly as possible, get a good rate of return. And the reason they think about investing right away is that they don't make much on savings. And so it feels like savings is just putting half of your army to sleep or your money's, you know, waiting in the wings, it's not doing anything for you. And you feel like you're not making any traction or momentum financially. And so we can quickly bypass the whole idea of savings is irrelevant. And we just jump from I make the money, I spend the money, what's left over, I invest. And I hope that that's going to get me a high enough accumulation, a million, two million. And then I plan to at some point, live off the an income stream from that and maintain the principal and just live off the interest. That's kind of the idea of most people's financial model. But what we want to point out is that really it's extremely important to focus on the savings element. The reason that most people don't value savings is that it seems like you don't get enough return for it to grow fast enough to even keep up with inflation. And it feels like if there is a better place to get a better return, well, now I'm getting the risk of the investment, or I'm tying it up somewhere in a CD, or I'm putting it in a place that is locked up and I can't access that capital. 
So really what you want to look at is the purpose of your money. And this ties into the three secrets really is that you want to focus on safety. That's number one. Liquidity is number two. And growth is number three. And the ideal place that we have found that does all of that has been this tool called infinite banking. So I'll break that down super simply. So safety means I know that I can put my cash somewhere and it's not going to drop in value. It's not going to evaporate overnight or the stock market's not going to have a downturn or the housing market and all of a sudden my cash is completely gone. I know that if I put a hundred grand somewhere, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and it's still going to say a hundred grand, not 50 grand. So that's the safety element. The liquidity component is really, really important because I need to know that I can access that capital. Now, the challenge that my husband and I came into when we had our cash in gold and silver was that we said, well, right now, when we needed access to capital, the cost or the price point of it was cut in about half. So we lost a huge amount of our value. And then we had to sell the physical bullion and have that transaction happen and it was we paid more to obtain it than we were getting to sell it so that made it not very transportable it wasn't very liquid but it also wasn't very safe in a short-term time frame and so when you think about liquidity you think about i can go to my safe or my uh, bank and i can get that 15 minute money it's available right away and i can access and use it if i want to grab that hundred grand that i put somewhere not only do i know that it's safe and it's not going to be devalued quickly but also i can go get it so that's the liquidity piece and then having um safety liquidity and then you want growth so growth is something that i don't want to trade off the ability to have some kind of growth on this money i don't want 0 0.0 6% or 0.02 that I'm getting in a bank savings account, it feels like that's safe and it's liquid, but it's not necessarily growing. And so this idea of using infinite banking to meet all three of those, it is a strategy of using a financial product. And there's two pieces that go together with that, but really it's storing your cash in a better bank that means that you're getting the safety, liquidity and growth. And we can go into how it gets those, um, those attributes and and has the safety, liquidity, and growth. But really, I'd like to hear your thoughts and um, see what questions you might have from there. Yeah, so how, how that was going to be my next question. How do we get that from this infinite banking solution? And again, this isn't investment advice on this podcast. If yes. you want a little bit more information, go to themoneyadvantage.com and you can reach out to Rachel and Bruce and get more info. But how how does this help to create safety, liquidity, and all of those features that we're looking for. So Tony, this is, uh, <clears throat> my mentor was Nelson Nash, who was the inventor of this concept. This is a strategy that you use a time-tested product called whole life insurance that's been around for a hundred, in some cases, 175 years. Um, and it's just that people aren't aware of how, this, how to use it for this strategy, but words are really important. So Nelson used to say, what happens when you are flying a plane and you take a turn? What do you call that? And for you people that can't figure it out, it's called, you're called a bank. Uh, when you're along a body of water that's rushing along, you're on the river bank. So a place to store capital, we traditionally call bank. But that doesn't mean a bank can't have multiple places that are also act like it. So you could say you could have a piggy bank in your bedroom and store money there. It just so happens that one of the places that you could also have the banking function would be an institution that's a financial institution, which is a insurance company. Now, you, asked, you said, how can we get safety, liquidity, and growth in an insurance company rather than a bank? Well, so I'm going to try to break this down for Real quickly and simply, safety. Um, banks, exp uh, they, they ex ex excel in the fact that they say we're SI, I'm sorry, FDIC insured up to 250000 But if you ever look into the F FDIC insured um, vaults, they only have about a quarter of 1% of all the money that is in banks right now, which is estimated somewhere at about between 15 and 17 trillion dollars. Yeah, that's very so, true. It's not exactly as safe as 
people think it is when you walk into a bank and see that FDIC <laughs> right. insurance right. Now, thing. Now, the government will pay you back, but they're going to print money that's going to be devalued in that situation, where insurance companies actually, by law, have to have more money in their coffers than they have promised into the future. So I don't know how that can get safer than that. Now, liquidity. Now, this is where you have to look at every financial institution for safety, liquidity, and growth. So liquidity, if you design it properly, you can have about 70 to 75%. Oh, heck, you can have as much as 95% or as little as 0% liquidity. It all depends on how you want to design it and what the purpose of your money is. So that's where we sit down with people and say, how much liquidity do you need? Because, because you can actually gain things if you take a little bit less liquidity now. You can actually gain potential more uh, returns in the future. But if you want more liquidity now, then you're going to actually have less death benefit and less growth into the f future, potentially. Let so, me just clarify one thing real quick. So Bruce is talking about liquidity in the first years of the policy. He's not talking about the accessibility that I had mentioned. So we can also talk about that. But there's this trade-off in the design of a life insurance policy. And with that trade-off, you can design for maximum early cash value, or you can have this long-term growth on the basis of dividends. And what we ideally want to do is get the best of both worlds. I think that's the simplest way of being able to say that that piece that you were sharing. So correct. Bruce, and, uh, so, and then finally, Tony, the, the growth, uh, the insurance company has what's called 4% uh, guaranteed net growth. Now, it's net of all the fees. So it's not unlike a mutual fund that actually, you know, grows it and then the fees of the money manager come out and all the wirehouse fees and so on, and then you get X amount. So it's the same thing. Uh, but then after those initial fees are taken out, there are some fees along the way, but a, a, a sooner or later you're going to hit a break-even point, and the money and the and the product's actually making more money than you're actually paying for the fees, and you're going to get anywhere between a three and a half to five percent non-taxable growth. Well, we're not saying that's an investment because a lot of people say, well, that's not very good. We're saying, well, we're not comparing it to an investment. We're comparing it to a bank. So if you're only getting 0.05 growth in a bank and you want to get, let's not say at the low end, 3.5% non-taxable, which a tax equivalent, depending on your tax bracket, could be 5 6%, depending on what tax bracket you are. So it's an alternative. That's what we want to tell people and be mm -hmm. very clear. And matter of fact, the insurance companies are very clear about this. This is not a bank by the definition of a bank, but it's an alternative place to store capital that right. we just happen to say the strategy is called the infinite banking concept. And you ask why infinite? Well, if you do it properly, then you can actually take the death benefit and pass it on to your children. And if you teach them properly, you can just do that into infinity. And that's what the major families, the ultra wealthy have figured out how to do is to tax efficiently pass their wealth on to the next generation. Very mm -hmm. interesting. Very interesting. Now, what are the the things that people should really know before they consider um, infinite banking as part of their investment strategy? I think that's a really, really good question. And I think at the very top of that list, I mean, we could talk all day long about things that people should know before they get started. But at the top of the list, I would say, you need to be a person who already has a sense of financial discipline in your life. And what I mean by that is we all know that it would be very easy to spend every dollar that we make. And that's the natural path of our human tendency without exercise, exercising any um, self-control and discipline. I mean, it's the same thing. It would be easiest to never work out. It would be easiest to eat pizza and brownies all day. Um, but in each area of your life that you really want to see a good result, you need to have a strategy that is opposite of our natural tendencies. And so, so really in your financial life, you need to be in a position where you're already consistently saving and putting money aside 
that you are planning for the future. That might be that you're investing somewhere and you're saying, wait a minute, that's all at risk of being lost and I'm not really getting that good of returns or I lost all my money in 2008 or in a previous downturn and I don't want to be in that risky situation. So maybe it's investing, maybe it's saving, but you have money that you're not spending in your daily life. You're already thinking of, of having those solid disciplines. And then I would say, start doing your research, start asking the question, what should I be doing to optimize this cash that I'm storing? And that's probably going to lead you to asking questions that are outside of the status quo, because there can be a tendency for us just to go with the, the flow of what everyone else is doing and everyone's putting money into a 401k at work. And I'm just going to go ahead and save for my future and this traditional, typical retirement plan thinking, wait a minute, I want to buy a house for an investment property. How am I going to use that 401k to do that? Oh, I'm going to have to pay the taxes on that cash. Oh, it's a really good idea. I'll pull that out. Or I all of my cash out. Or I just put all my money my house. I've made all these extra payments and my cash is sitting in the equity of the house. I might be able to access and use that or qualify to get a HELOC or a home equity line of credit. So what you want to do is really start asking questions. I would say so first, have good, solid financial discipline all in your life. Be asking questions about how can I do this better? And then you need an abundance perspective. And we could talk again about this all day long, but an abundance perspective really realizes that there's not, it's not just a trade-off. It's not just I get something or you get something. I get to exercise in my life or I get to build my my business. It's not just a, a zero sum game. It's not just that we, um, it's not just give and take. It's that when we make significant improvements in one area of our life, it can improve and benefit everything else at the same time. And so that abundance perspective then isn't just saying everyone is out to screw me. Everyone is, you know, trying to mislead me. Everyone has ill intentions. It's really looking for the best in humanity and really doing our best work. And I think that's a truly, it's a humbling and authentic place to be, to really admit the hopes and dreams that you truly have and be able to do everything in pursuit of them. So I would say that's really the starting point that you need before you get started and then go for it without trying to figure out everything, or you're going to just have paralysis of analysis and not move forward. And Bruce, you and I talk all the time. Oh, yeah. So many people just say, I wish I started so much, so much further ahead or so much sooner than I did. Yeah. You know, so it's funny, Tony, uh, um, people don't have the understanding of how a mutual fund works or even a stock or a bond or even some of the businesses. They, I mean, you, you do some business coaching yourself they don't even understand and yet they jump into it but for some reason they want to know every aspect of this before they jump into it and i'm not saying you shouldn't be well informed um, but unless you have a a background you just simply need to get an advisor right so i mean that's what people do in business with you they get an advisor and they get a trusted advisor and they can move forward so nelson used to be a, he was a forester so he used to say the best the best time to plant a tree was 70 years ago but the second best time to plant a tree is today. And so let's get this tree planted. Uh, you've already figured out the best soil conditions, the best amount of water, and what kind of tree. You don't need to know what's going to happen three years from now. And you just got to move. And, this, and that's the thing. You know, our society is changing so quickly and so rapidly. Um, you know, I have the wisdom of, of gray hairs. And, you know, I've gone through several recessions. I've gone through several presidencies, several administration changes. And to try to figure out everything that's going to work in every situ situation, it's not going to happen. You just need to be as flexible as possible with your strategy going forward. Put yourself in that position. And that's why Rachel and I always talk about control. You've got to put your money in a place that you have the greatest control. That control means you have to have discipline. So if you don't have discipline, then you need to go to some somewhere else before you come see us because nobody can help you. Yeah. And I, I think to your point, in a lot of ways, what you're talking about is taking control a little bit more active role, maybe in the way that your money is stored, saved, 
uh, the way that, you know, liquidity affects your life, as we've been talking about throughout this this discussion. So how have you both found this to improve your own individual lives? Great question. So you already heard the quick story about how all of a sudden I had capital from my parents. Once again, that shows the, the generational change. And then I started my second policy in the 80s. And I got a I got an offer from a headhunter to move to uh, California. So I moved to one of the the lowest uh, cost of living places, St. Louis, Missouri, to the one of the highest in San Diego. And so we sold our house here. And I'll never forget this. The uh, real the real estate agent said this was 2001, 20 years ago. He said, OK, you and your wife need to imagine the most money you would ever pay for a house in your lifetime. And then add a hundred thousand dollars to that because that's, that's what you're going to do. So, and he, and he was right. And so we didn't have the capital. So guess where I got it from, you know, because we didn't sell our house for that much in equity. So we went to our policy and got it. So then as I start in business, I started, I have six of these now. So I started to, as I grew my business, I got more and more of the ability to do it. Cause there's some limitations by both the IRS and the insurance companies, how much capital you can store in these things. And so now every time I have an opportunity, my money's getting uninterrupted compound growth. And then I borrow against the cash value. I just did this uh, last October and bought into a business. And then I use the cash flow to pay the loans back. And then I just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And oh, by the way, I'm protecting my, my wife with a nice death benefit. I'm building up cash value to use into the future. And I'm also leaving a legacy when my wife and I are no longer around, not only a legacy of cash, but a legacy of I'm teaching this to my nieces and nephews because I, my wife and I don't have any children. So I'm teaching these concepts to my nieces and nephews. So that's how it's impacted my life. I, I, I never have to worry about where my cash is being stored. Yeah, in my, you're going to hear a lot of similarities in mine, so I won't even rehash some of those. But I actually had a really unique experience that I don't recommend anyone goes to try this, but I nearly died about two years ago. I delivered my second daughter and there was some complications afterwards and that landed me in surgery and I hemorrhaged and had a very, very severe situation that so they said was a 50% survival wow. rate. And thankfully it was very quick. It was very acute situation. And I spent about 24 hours in the ICU after that and then was released back to the mother baby room and life basically continued on as normal. But during that four hours that I was in surgery, that things were very, very bleak. Um, they were giving a really negative report to my husband and he only heard two reports. One, we can't stop the bleeding. The second report, we stopped the bleeding, but it's worse. And it was devastating for him to be holding his newborn baby girl, contemplating what's going to happen if she doesn't pull out of this. And there was really no guarantee at that point. And because of that circumstance, it really gave me a different perspective about my own life insurance, my husband's life insurance, and just this reality that we're young, we seem super healthy, and we were, and I even went into the hospital that day feeling great and feeling healthy and feeling very positive about the future, thinking my life insurance was a in case something happens, not a I will die at some point. And that perspective on death can shift as you live longer years. But even standing at the vantage point that I am right now, where most people are not thinking about how do I leave a legacy? How do I, you know, pass this on to my kids? How do I make sure that they're equipped financially for everything that I hope and dream for them? I am thinking about those things because of the circumstance I went through. And so I'm actually writing a book about this, but I think there's three parts of building a legacy that are really important. One is to make sure that you have as much fuel in your legacy as possible at the end, whenever you pass away. And the only way to do that is to have life insurance complementing whatever else you're doing. You can have lots of investments and you can have multiple, maybe it's real estate and businesses and you have a lot going on financially, but life insurance will additionally make sure that you have the most net worth 
at the date that you pass away, which means there's the most dollars available to perpetuate what you were planning and doing with your kids in their life. And so there's the financial aspect. Then there's the estate planning need where you don't want to just say, well, I'm going to give you these dollars. My kids are both minors right now. There's no way that they could even receive death benefit. They, they couldn't take on my my investments at this time. They couldn't take on the assets that we have. But an estate plan can transfer assets in trust to them. And then we actually changed ours to be able to hold them in trust even after they receive them so that we can direct the course of how those finances are used to accomplish the third piece of a legacy, which is really looking at what's the meaning of it all and how do I transfer my values and my ideals and my mission and my vision for my life into their life so that no matter when that time frame is, we have no idea when it is, but how can I make sure that whenever I pass away, all of what I was hoping to invest in them and teach them is passed on so that they can carry that forward. Yeah, actually, before we started recording this episode, we were all talking about some of the lawyering I do as well. And uh, I had mentioned that obviously I have a master's in, in tax law. And um, one sometimes part of my practice is to work with individuals, entrepreneurs most of the time, on their estate plan as well mm, on the back good. end, which is all part of the succession planning and the tax strategy. And a lot of the things we talk about are exactly what you just mentioned, not only transitioning the business onto the next generation, which by the way, brings up a whole host of issues, oh, yeah. right? Do they want the business to begin with <laughs> right. or do they just want the economic value? If you have, let's say three kids, one of them is heavily involved in the business and the other two, one's married a doctor and one's an artist off on the West Coast doing something else. And maybe the other two want the economic value, but don't want to be involved in the business. So how do you find an equitable way mm -hmm. to distribute that? Right. One third, one third, one third might not make sense. Exactly. Um, and might bring up a lot of strife on the back end, right? <laughs> so a lot of things to consider there. And then also using things like islets, like uh, irrevocable life mm -hmm. insurance trusts, or things, vehicles of that nature to create the liquidity that Rachel was just talking about. Because a lot of times people don't think about the estate tax or the transfer tax mm -hmm. that will appear on the back end. They think, I'm going to leave, you know, my house to my my kids. If let's say myself and my spouse die, we'll just transfer that onto our kids. Well, most states have some form of a estate transfer tax, an inheritance tax, or a state, mm -hmm. depending on the state that you're in. You have state level tax, and then you have federal tax. And we have, you know, the unified credit, which we can apply as a strategic tool. But you need to have a good tax or estate planning attorney that's working with you, that's helping you through those things. And Absolutely. these these are keys to the strategy, though, because let's say just as a, a hypothetical, just piggybacking off of what Rachel was just talking about, you transfer your property onto your kids, you know, both you and your spouse, you know, terrible situation, pass mm -hmm. away, and uh, your kids now get this property. And all of a sudden, here comes the tax man or woman. Right. Here comes the IRS. Here comes the state tax to say, hey, wait a minute. This is a seven real estate's booming right now. They're happy as a clam. This is a fair market value. One point one million dollar property that they bought for 50 grand to 30 years ago or whatever. Right. All of a sudden, there's a huge tax that needs to be paid. And if there's no liquidity there. House has got to get sold. So now your state wishes, your your plan is completely ineffective because you had no liquidity on the back end. And you're right in the sense that insurance is often a really good vehicle to sort of, you know, inject liquidity into a situation mm -hmm. like that. And then, you know, touching on what Rachel was talking on the back end, another conversation that we have is if you have minor children, especially, or if you have a spendthrift child, right, uh, who, who really loves to live the high life, but, you know, might with a large influx of cash might not be the most sound of judgment. So we can use trusts 
we can use other vehicles in combination, kind of wrapping in what Bruce said early on, that this really needs to be a team effort, right? Mm -hmm. The financial advisor, the the real estate agent, whoever is going to handle this, all of these people, the lawyer, all of these people need to be on the same page and rowing in the same direction, not... Yes you know, giving uh, differing advice to, to the potential client. So a lot of these things, I agree with you, are, are really, really critical to an overall strategy. And a lot of times you're right. People come in and say, oh, I've got money in the bank. We'll be fine. Or I've got, you know, I have this other thing going on. I have the property. I have the real estate. That's what I'm transferring, you know, or I have the business asset. That's what I'm transferring. And don't think about all of those steps that are going to play in and all of those potential pitfalls. And you're right, that that tax will cut away at the value really quickly. So having tax advantaged vehicles that can also inject liquidity at the same time is is a brilliant part of the strategy. Yeah, Tony. So, um, I'm a little sense. I use this in another podcast. I'm a little sensitive because I'm in St. Louis and I was a charter a personal seat license holder to the St. Louis Rams and uh, Georgia Frontieri, the owner died and, and the Rams had built up the, the value of the team. So when she died, she had this huge estate tax bill and the, and the children couldn't come up with the money. So they had to then sell to Stan Kroenke who then moved the team to yep. Los Angeles. Right. It was the greatest example of this right. uh, going forward. Um, and there's no better way in my mind, the islet you were talking about is a great situation for this it, because we don't know where the state taxes are going to be in the future. Um, you know, just about 12 to 16 years ago, I don't remember the exact, but it was only $1 million per person. Now, now it's up to like 11.5 yeah, million, yeah, but on the stroke credit. of a pen that can be brought all the way down to a million dollars. And frankly, you know, if you look at the debt that we're in, in this country, I think that's one place that they will probably try to get more money because dead people can't vote anyway. So yeah, that's a, that's a huge thing. Yeah. And not getting, not getting political one side or another, cause we tend not to on, on this show, but right. Looking at it from an even keeled, no blue, no red, even keeled perspective, just over the last two decades, when you've seen the team in control change, you've seen those fluctuations that you just talked about, 1 million to 5, then 5 to 10, which is CPI adjusted to 11 right. and change, and back and forth. And, and we frequently see that as part of the political you know, campaign trail. This is what I'm doing with the estate tax one way or the other. And to have that level of risk and swings is can be tough on the back end. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, risk mitigation, and what's interesting is risk mitigation is what insurance companies do. <laughs> and I and so I tell people all the time, if you don't believe you could you actually could live a better life with good insurance, and I'm not just talking about life insurance, I'm talking about homeowners insurance, car insurance. Um, we, we don't have time to get into this, but I also lost my house to a house fire completely in 2014, but I had it well insured and we were not affected financially. I tell people all the time, if you don't believe that you should have good insurances, cancel your car insurance and then drive across town in your car and feel how the anxiety that you have that right. entire time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the same thing that people do with not being well, having well-designed life insurance. They just don't realize it because they don't want to admit their own mortality is, is what I've learned over the past 30 plus years of being in this business is people just don't want to face their own mortality when it comes to this. Um, but it's funny, you know, we're required to have car insurance. We're required to have home insurance to protect the, the benefactors, but we're not required to have life insurance to protect, you know, uh, the people that, that rely on our income. It's, it's just a weird dynamic. Yeah. Well, and I think forward. what's what's really interesting is that when we kind of combine these two ideas that we've mentioned about, I'll just say them all in one sentence to bring some clarity. Life insurance is a strategy, and it is able to store cash and provide a death benefit that gives that legacy at the same time. And if we just think of it as one or the other, we miss this tremendous benefit that it gives us today while we're living. And also allows us to give that legacy to our kids and our grandkids that 
ultimately my goal in life is not just to make sure my kids are well set up, but I would really like for the decisions I make today to benefit them so that their decisions can benefit their kids so that five generations, six, seven generations from now, when I've been long gone, there's still that memory of what was put in place by the work that we did. And it's really interesting as we talked about liquidity, the ideal way to be able to have access to cash. And this is something that benefits us on a regular basis. We've used our cash and taken loans against our policy for investment purposes. We've put cash into our business. We've done a lot of things with a lot of policy loans and the accessibility that I mentioned earlier with liquidity, meaning I can get to this cash. There's a contractual right as a policy owner that you have to be able to access and use your capital. And the way you do it is not by taking out your cash, it's by borrowing against it, which gives you that uninterrupted compound growth. And so I mentioned at the beginning, it's a strategy, not a product. It's not just, I buy a whole life policy and I set it on the shelf and I don't do anything with it. It's really, how do I benefit my life most by storing cash where I have that safety, liquidity and growth. But in addition to that, how do I use this policy best while I'm living so that I can do the most with it because I can take loans and pay them back and take loans and pay them back and I can do a lot with this cash and recycle it over and over and get it to continually not just give me cash storage and give me a death benefit, but in addition, it can pay for a lot of things along the way and that's just accelerating and multiplying the purpose of that money. And so now instead of just saying, well, I just saved money for college planning and that was here in one bucket. Here I saved money for retirement. Here I saved money for buying a car. Here I saved money separately for buying a, a rental portfolio and continuing to add to that portfolio. Instead of compartmentalizing our life, we really do want to take that zoomed out big picture approach and say, let me see the whole personal economy where all of my money is going and how do I do all of that best? Right. And, and basically, you're just explaining how you can earn essentially a return from the same money, the same bucket of cash, as you put it, from two different places at the same yes. time. Yes. And the way that you can do that is that if I'm putting my money into a life insurance policy and that's growing for me and there's interest and there's dividends that are being applied to my cash value growth. So that's growing inside the policy. Now I can borrow against that cash I can put that to work somewhere else. And so I didn't deplete my original store of cash here. That's continuing to earn dividends and interest. Now I put that money into a rental property or I buy a, a cash flowing business or whatever this opportunity is, an alternative investment somewhere or whatever I'm putting my cash into. Bruce, you could even just give a quick laundry list if you want of some options. But as I'm putting my cash somewhere else, now I'm earning a return here in the investment while my cash is still growing in the policy and that is a way that I'm able to have my money growing in two places at the same time. Now, Tony, one of the things that people say, well, this sounds too good to be true. Uh, but it's, it's no different than uh, having a margin account with your stock. Uh, you can borrow against that to buy more stock. Now, the, the, I shouldn't say there's no difference. It's very similar. The, the, the one difference is you can get a margin call because your stock portfolio can go down. Your, your, your portfolio and the life insurance can't go down. You can use a HELOC in your house to do the same thing. Exactly. You can, you can get a business against or a loan against your business and do the same thing. The reason it's different is you get these other attributes. You get guaranteed growth in this one, and you also get a death benefit with a multiple of other things in it. So that's one of the most common things we hear from people. They say, why haven't I heard about this concept before? And it's too good to be true. And we're like, that's because you're not relating it to other things that you already know about. And we'll, we're just going to compare that to that situation. And then you're going to see, oh, yeah. Uh, and the reason they don't hear about it is because insurance companies are very, very conservative. So they don't, they don't do a lot of advertising. I mean, you don't, you don't see insurance companies on television advertising about this concept because they want to have a a registered uh, advisor or, or producer be able to go through this with them in a very individual state instead of just saying, hey, we're the greatest insurance company in the world, come to us. And that's why I, I cringe a little bit when I see these 
what what kind of uh, things you see is these apps now they say oh get the cheapest life insurance just put in your stuff and we're going to get you the cheapest life insurance there's no strategy there so you might get a you might get a cheap product but you get what you pay for in that situation you're not getting any strategy for that so exactly, exactly. it's very it's very interesting and so Thank you both for all the information that you've shared on this episode. I think it was great. You also host, co-host the Money Advantage podcast. Tell us about where we can pick that up and where listeners can find the show. Absolutely. So the Money Advantage podcast, you can go to themoneyadvantage.com. And actually, if you click on blog, we have all of our previous episodes. I think we're up to almost 200 right now. I think awesome. 194 or wow. something like that. Congrats. Uh, we're, we've just recorded. So we have really talked about all of these concepts in depth, but then also talked about the fundamentals. And we've also brought a lot of guests on to talk about alternative investments and just every different area of finance to help people to think differently and to really put themselves in a position of continuing to grow and be open-minded and think differently from the status quo so that they can thrive. So that's all at themoneyadvantage.com. You can also book a, a conversation with our advisor team right there if you do want to talk with our advisors. And then we have a free guide available. If you go there, you can uh, all the buttons are right available on the very front page at themoneyadvantage.com. Cool. Thanks. And we'll make sure to post links to that in the show notes to this episode. Rachel, you're also writing a book about your near-death experience. Tell us how that is coming along and when we can expect to see a first draft. No no pressure, though, from us. I was going to say, that is a scary question. <laughs> um, I have uh, bypassed my deadline several times. No it worries. It's definitely a big endeavor to write a book. I'm um, in my one of my last edits before I send over to an editor. So we're getting near to the end. Um, I'm not sure the release date, but at this time, I will share that the title is going to be Seven Generations. So you can look for that. We'll have all of the links to that available at themoneyadvantage.com as well. And so if you are listening, if you want to find out about the book coming out, if you want to find out about anything any of our upcoming work, you can always subscribe there at themoneyadvantage.com and you'll you'll learn about all of those things coming out. Awesome. Thank you both for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Tony. Awesome. Thank you, Tony. This was really a pleasure. You're a great host. I appreciate it. <laughs>